right, we're going to do this. Guys, this is going to be crazy. This is going to be crazy. So, um, God willing, we're going to start with a group activity. I know most of us are in our late 20s and our 30s, 40s, 50s, maybe 60s, 70s. Um, well, I don't know why you're laughing. There might be an actual 70-year-old here. Uh, so, um, and it's also early in the morning, kind of. Uh, if, you don't if you don't have kids, it's early in the morning. If you do have kids, it's late in the morning. Um, so I'm going to ask you all uh, to participate in a group activity. Uh, it's, uh, and the first step, I know it's very annoying, but if this is annoying, wait till you hear the next thing I'm going to ask you to do. But uh, the first step is to, is to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to mo move around. I just want um, this to be a very significant thing. I want us to make a deal. <clears throat> Whatever word shows up on the slide, once it shows up, I'm going to say it, and then you say it. Okay? This is going to be great. First word. Oh. Sex. Undefiled. Penis. Greater honor. Vagina. Greater honor. Scrotum. Very good. Clitoris. Very good. Last but not least, breasts. Satisfying. I hope you see what we're trying to do here, right? We're trying to rewire. You can all take your seats again. Thank you so much. That was the hardest part of the whole day. And that's the riskiest part for me for the future of my service in this church. So, <clears throat> uh, but I hope you can see what we're trying to do here, my dear brothers and sisters, is to rewire our understanding of sex. So we're going to talk about sexual shame and its manifestations. And why are we going to talk about shame? Sorry, I'm just doing the clicker thing. The first reason is that shame is one of the most powerful obstacles to marital intimacy, especially sexual intimacy. We're going to define shame in a moment, but the first, the first thing I want to do is tell you why we're talking about shame. The music is very nice here. Do you guys hear that? But, yes. Point, point what? Oh. Oh. Okay, got it. Thanks. <clears throat> uh, the, other, the other reason why we're talking about shame is that you may not know that you're dealing with shame unless someone helps you identify it or you learn more about it. For example, like by being here. Also, shame easily transfers from generation to generation. And I want to tell you, my dear brothers and sisters, all those words that we just said, any hesitation that you had is probably hesitation that you're going to have when you have to teach your children those words. And if you're not going to teach them, who's going to teach it to them? And if you're uncomfortable saying it when we're looking at verses where those words are, where those words are acknowledged and honored, how are you going to talk about it with your spouse if you can't even say it right now, right? Shame is very serious. Often you will see in the following slides seeking the support of a professional to help you work through it. What, what is shame? Shame means I am bad or this is bad, okay? And I want to distinguish that from an, another important word but which, which we're not going to spend too much time on, which is guilt. Guilt means I did something bad right? I did something bad. 
But shame means I am bad, okay? And those are two very different things. Sexual shame is a result of unhealthy events, experiences, and messages. And shame, sexual shame tells you that you are bad and that sex, when it comes to you, is bad. The shame extends to your organs, it extends to your knowledge about sex, and it extends to your sexuality, and of course, it extends to sex itself. How does shame manifest itself? First, it manifests itself in avoidance. If you are ashamed of sex, you're going to avoid the topic. You're going to avoid it. And that will lead to loneliness. You could be married, you could be living under the same roof as your spouse, and still feel very lonely in your sexual intimacy. You can feel alone. Even though your spouse is sitting right next to you, you feel alone, and the intimacy is low. Also, shame manifests itself in sadness, which is, uh, looks like limited happiness or depression. Shame also leads to guilt, which leads to self-criticism and hatred, self-hatred. And lastly, shame manifests itself in frustration and anger, which can lead to marital conflict. And not to mention the great opportunity cost of living for so many years with married sex that is far below its potential. A, a co very common example, I've seen this in therapy, and uh, there's many stories about this. One, one of the books I was reading to prepare talked about uh, a wife, she was 70 years old, and she finally figured out with her husband how to have an orgasm and how both of them can please each other and have a fulfilling sex life. And then, as much as she enjoyed this, she also became so angry. She said, I'm 70 years old. Like, I figured this out now. All this time has passed, right? I remember another client that I was, uh, a couple that I was observing the work with them. And um, they were coming because the, the husband had so much anxiety and the anxiety was leading to uh, erectile dysfunction and also to early or premature rapid ejaculation. And so, um, you know, over, uh, before they came to therapy, he was telling his wife, like, we need to go see a therapist. These are some things we should do. And the wife was saying, no, like, I, we don't need that. You just need to shape up. You need to this. You need to that. You need to this. You need to that. Finally, things got so frustrating. They go to therapy. They sit in front of the therapist. After, like, three or four sessions, the therapist did a really good job. It wasn't me. And um, he did a really good job. And, you know, the, the therapist suggests something. And the wife goes to him, yeah, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that, what you just suggested. And it was a very good suggestion. And then the husband just, just takes his hand and just, he's sitting down, so he's like, hit, hits his hand on his knee. And he says, this is so frustrating. Like, I've been saying this for so long that we should try this. And so even though a, a good decision was being made, there was frustration because of all the time and opportunity cost that was lost. There was all this time lost, right? And so that is one of the, the, the costs of sexual shame. So God's original design, his intention, God's vision for our sexuality, my dear brothers and sisters, was for you to be naked, the man and his wife in marriage, and not ashamed. No shame, not ashamed. Please look at those words. These are the words of God. Naked, the man and his wife, and not ashamed. God wants no shame in your experience of sex with your spouse. God wants no shame in your conversation about sex with your spouse. God wants no shame in your thoughts about sex with your spouse, in your fantasy about sex with your spouse, in your learning 
learning, 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 learning about sex, learning about sex with your spouse, learning about your body for better sex with your spouse, learning about your body for better sex with your spouse, learning about your past for better sex with your spouse. And no shame in your theology about sex with your spouse and no shame in your, in your, ah, clicker, in your boundaries around sex with your spouse. Is everybody with me so far? Yeah? We're good? All right, good. Man, we're going to get through this. This is, this is probably not happening anywhere else, by the way, on, maybe, maybe on earth right now. But so, <clears throat> so, with God's grace, my dear friends, we're going to talk about eight causes of sexual shame. The first, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to list them here, and then we're going to go through each one. We're going to talk about what causes it, and then we're going to talk about how to overcome it, okay? Ignorance, appearance, performance, being out of control during sex, trauma, deception or sin, your spouse's past actions or words. Those are three separate things, not their past actions, but their past their actions, or their words, and low desire at a particular time, which is different from low desire most of the time, right? That's, a, that's for the next lecture. Excuse me. So the first one is shame because of ignorance. We can be ashamed because we're ignorant. We don't know. Where does that come from? We could be embarrassed to expose what you don't know about your own body. It might seem like, wait, you don't know that about your own body? Yeah, we don't know. A lot of times what we suggest uh, to people who are not familiar with their bodies, uh, for example, for a woman, because it's hard for her to see her genitalia, is to take a mirror and look and see, get acquainted with yourself. Uh, uh, It could also come from sex being seen as shameful. So anything that you do to acquire knowledge about sex, which would expose your ignorance, also seems shameful. So just by asking a question because of your ignorance, because we, I'm not saying ignorance is, a, is in, a, in a, um, a critical way. I'm not criticizing us for being ignorant. I'm ignorant too. But, but we all have ignorance. And when we expose our ignorance by asking a question, it's, it could seem shameful because sex itself seems shameful and acquiring knowledge about it seems shameful. Also, you may have been shamed for not knowing more about sex. Many of us, um, it's very common to be in a social setting and someone says something about sex and you have no idea what they're talking about and so you ask a question and someone laughs at you. And so you could have been shamed for your ignorance. Also, if your ignorance has been taken advantage of in the past, maybe someone took advantage of you not knowing something about sex or about your sexuality, this this being taken advantage of is a time of weakness. And so you could associate ignorance with weakness and weakness with shame. Also, you might assume an authoritative role in your marriage and don't want to appear ignorant. That's, that's an issue in a, very, in a much bigger way. If you think that you're like the spouse who knows it, knows things, and you're, you're in charge, and you are the one who teaches things in your family, maybe you don't want to appear as ignorant, but actually there's a lot of things you have to learn. So how do you overcome shame because of ignorance? Embrace your ignorance. Embrace your ignorance. You remember you're not alone. No one knows everything about sex. No one knows everything about sex. And realize that there's no way you could have known what works best for your spouse until you married them. And probably your spouse didn't even know what worked best for them until they got married and started having sex with you, right? So uh, there's a lot to learn, right? How many times did I say the word learn so far? I probably said it about 35 times, 
and there's at least 150 more times in the next half hour, okay? Um, push yourself to ask questions and read. Read, ask questions, learn in a safe environment, in a safe environment. Like, for example, this is a safe environment, right? We're all learning together, right? This is a safe environment. It's a, it's a safe time to ask questions. You can ask anything you want. Please, ask anything you want. And we made it even easier by making it possible to ask questions anonymously so that we all can learn together, right? Okay, good. Revisit the Bible verses about the holiness of sex. Did you see those Bible references with those words? Those, that's from the Bible, right? That's from God. God said undefiled, right? He said greater honor, right? And I didn't even spend time telling you what the church fathers say. A lot of very beautiful things. The, the church fathers even talk about sperm, right? In a very honorable way, right? If you don't like to expose your ignorance, humble yourself. This is likely affecting other areas of your marriage too. All right. Everybody with me so far? The next ones are going to move a little quickly. We're good? We're good? All right. That's so great, guys. All right. Where does shame because of appearance come from? <clears throat> it comes from the messed up media, man. The media's messed up. So messed up, okay? Um, you know, you're just standing in the, in the, in the cash register. You're buying something at the grocery store. You have the tabloids. You have this. You have that. Everything is Photoshopped. And, and then what do we do? You go on Instagram and you scroll. People are posting themselves at all these awkward angles and doing all this stuff. And all you're doing is you're comparing. I don't look like this. I don't stand like that. I don't do this. I don't dress like that, Right? And the media is always pushing, they have, they're pushing an agenda, essentially making you feel inadequate. You also may have shame because you have a lack of affirmation about your body throughout your life, or you have received criticism. I remember a, a, a client of mine, I won't say too many details, um, she, uh, when she was young, someone came up to one of her parents and criticized her when she was a child and said to the parent and in that culture the parent like adults are respectful with each other you know like adults have to respect each other so someone goes up to the parent criticizes this child about her appearance and the parent says yeah she she needs to shape up you know when i heard about this 15 years later still there that moment when she was a young child and her parent didn't defend her or stand up for her when that criticism came and it stayed with her. It was super sad because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this client in, in, a, in a couple setting, right? Like it's affecting their marriage. And this, this had nothing to do with the husband, right? Uh, but the husband said other things actually later that really messed some things up too. It was pretty bad. Pretty bad things. Um, also, all of our bodies change. Any, anybody's body not change? Oh my gosh, my body changed. All of our bodies are changing, right? I feel like my body changed after we had kids. And I'm, I'm, I didn't bear the child. So... <laughs> um, also, uh, uh, comparison. We're comparing ourselves all the time. And pornography. This is a poison. A poison. I don't want to... Uh, it's not my, my job here, my beloved friends, to condemn anyone. I, I, I love... Like, we're all sinners here, right? But I just want to tell you, and it'll come up again and again, pornography is poison. It's poison. Poison. Just straight-up poison, okay? Um... It is, it is not real. It is, um, it is wiring and coding things in your brain that are, take a very long time to unlearn. And it is very detrimental to intimacy in marriage. Okay? And so you can have shame in your appearance because of pornography. How do you overcome this? 
write down the negative messages that you have about your appearance and their source. You have to do some work. You gotta do work. Then write down healthy messages to replace them and eliminate future exposure to those negative messages. Like if, if you, if every time you end up scrolling up on Instagram or whatever, and you're seeing things that make you feel bad about yourself, stop, right? That's, fu that's future exposure. That's exposure to negative messages. And then also choose confidence and assertiveness in your intimacy with your spouse, which is very attractive, right? If you wanna be more attractive, choose confidence. Like just be confident and assertive, right? And, and, and that is very attractive to your spouse. Uh, there's a, a survey done in one of the, in the books I was reading. Uh, if, if amongst all these husbands, if they want their spouse to look like a supermodel, none of them care if their wife looks like a supermodel. That, that, that's just the, the, the results of the survey, right? But, but what they do care about is that their wife is confident that she loves herself and that she is pleased by them, that they are able to please her. Her pleasure is, is, is pleasing to him, right? And, and we need to spend just a little bit of time um, talking about the female orgasm. It's very important, right? Which we don't spend any time talking about. And that, that, that what, what's the key word that, that we're using in this lecture here? Learn, right? The female orgasm takes a lot of learning, right? It's very important. A lot of work, right? I'm not saying a lot of effort, like, like intensity, but you, it's, it's complex, and it's not the same each time. And that's a very important difference between men and women. And we have to discuss this and experiment and learn, right? Very important. I think there was a hand up. Um, if it's okay, uh, I actually, because the thing is, I actually love questions. Um, but if it's okay, we're going to have time at the end for questions just because there's a lot of people. And if we start taking them now, it might be a little uh, tough. But please don't forget your questions. Also, the barcode, the QR code, you could just send them in. If, you, if you're worried, you're going to forget them. Now, the third cause of sexual shame is shame because of performance. What, what is performance? Essentially not performing in a certain way, not, not, not getting the results that you think you need to be getting or the look that you need to be getting. <clears throat> Where does that come from? Remember I told you that uh, that client who uh, was struggling with uh, erectile dysfunction and rapid ejaculation. The, one of the biggest issues was that, when, because it's, it's, it's very common for that to happen every once in a while, right? But if the response to that is very negative and shaming, it'll trigger a tremendous amount of anxiety, which will make it happen way more often, right? So if, for example, let's just say a, um, a newly married couple, and they're trying to figure out and to learn and experiment, and I always tell couples, Give yourself six to 18 months after you get married to find your flow. You have a lot of learning and experimenting to do, right? And if it doesn't work, try something else and try something else and try something else and talk about it before, during, and after and keep working on it, right? No pressure, no shame, enjoy, right? But if you're very goal-oriented and, and sex has to look a certain way and you're trying to... Um, uh, for example here, to, to, to help your wife achieve an orgasm, and it's not working. And then you're like, oh, man, what the heck is going on? Like, when, why, why is this taking so long? You think that's going to help next time? No way, right? It's not going to help at all, right? What if you're intimate and, and your spouse is having, a, your husband is having a hard time being erect? And you're like, what's wrong with you? Am I not attractive to you? What's wrong, right? Maybe you're thinking about someone else, right? Whatever you say. If it's something shaming, it's going to make it harder next time, right? We're triggering anxiety. A negative spousal response to disappointing, nonetheless common sexual experiences can create shame because of performance, because I'm not performing. Also, your, your social group can set false goalposts, right? Like people in a very unhealthy way, 
love to brag about their experiences and all this stuff, right? And nearly he listened to someone say something like, wait, I gotta, why am I not doing that with my spouse? You know, I need to do that, right? And all of a sudden, if you're not able to do that, or that's not working, or one, your, your spouse doesn't want to do that, you start to feel shame because you're not performing. And again, the media and pornography. Because in pornography, it's like, these are like, like athletes in fantasy land, right? Like, there's no, there's no love. It's not love, right? But, but, but sex in marriage, we call it making love, right? That, that's what we call it, right? Um, so how to overcome it. Be careful how you respond to disappointment during sex. Say that you look forward to trying again later. Do other things that work too during other stages of sex. For example, there's four stages of sex, arousal, plateau, orgasm, and uh, afterglow, afterglow or resolution, right? So if your foreplay is really good, just keep doing the foreplay. Like, like make sure you do the foreplay that works for you, right? And then when you're getting to an orgasm, if there's a way that you know how to get to an orgasm, do that, right, while you're experimenting with other things too. And then make sure the resolution or the afterglow, the period after when the oxytocin and the endorphins are really, really pumping, right, when you're so rested and relaxed and happy, when that is there, make sure you're enjoying that stage too, right? So do other things that work too. Don't be so focused and fixated on one thing. Discuss and experiment with healthy sexual experiences that matter and work for you both and drop the rest. There is no requirement to do all things sexually. There's no requirement. Do, do what you want, right? And not everything is going to work for everyone, right? Also, uh, especially when it comes to, like, the, the mechanics of sex, seek professional help. There's so much out there. Like, I mean, if you only knew what's out there, from a Christian perspective, from a medical perspective, from a therapy perspective, there's a lot of, of good stuff out there. All right. The next thing is uh, shame from being out of control during sex. The, word out, the phrase out of control feels very um, kind of bad, right? But actually what I mean is kind of like letting go, letting go. Many of us take pride in being in control, organizing, preparing, cleaning, and generally being composed, you know? Like I, sometimes every once in a while, I, you know, I have a client where one of the spouses takes a lot of pride in, in being even keeled, right? And I'm like, you know what? You probably look even keeled, but that's actually just emotional disconnection. You're, you're just not letting yourself connect with your own emotions, and connect with your spouse emotionally, right? You just, you just look so, you know, elegant with your even-keeledness, you know? But really, you need to... I'm trying... I don't want to make fun of anyone. So, uh, <clears throat> so, and also, we may believe that anxiety and control are a way to be responsible. A very important thing I like to say is you don't need anxiety to be responsible, Okay? You don't need to be anxious, right? And so sometimes we look at with condescension at letting yourself go and being messy. We, we're like, what, what's, that's, that's the, people are losing themselves, right? But actually you need to let yourself go because you, your mind is one of the most, is the most important sexual organ, right? And of course everyone's going to say your mind is not an organ, but, but that's just... just Get, you get the message. Um, and if you cannot, if you're so focused on this and that, and are we doing this right and that, and what about the mess afterwards, and what about, you know, uh, you know what are, how are we going to think, how are we going to feel, what about the time after this, and all that stuff, and is this okay? You're not going to be able to enjoy this beautiful capacity that your body has. So how do you overcome this shame? Remind yourself that you are already in bounds because you are married and there is consent. If you're married and there is consent, you're already in the safe zone, right? There's very little that, uh, that, is, that you're not f otherwise free to do. 
Practice focusing your mind on your body and your spouses. Focus on the moment. You know when we talk about um, mindfulness or being present, we talk about being present. Be very present in the moment. Be very present on the physical aspect of what's going on. Be very present on, you know, think about what's happening. Think about your spouse. And also, prepare your mind for spontaneity, right? Some of us have a very hard time with spontaneity because we want everything to be scheduled and planned and all that stuff, right? I'm not saying having sex just spontaneously, but what happens during sex can, can be spontaneous, right? And if you guys have healthy communication, there's trust. So you know if you say, ah, oh, that hurts, I don't want that, or could you do more of this, then you're going to be fine, right? Okay, we're halfway through. Is everybody still awake and good? Yeah? All right. Is this helpful? Yeah? All right. Okay, good. Good, guys. All right. Now we're going to get into some more stuff. Shame because of trauma. Trauma. This one is, is very hard. Very, very hard. Very complex. Very complex. This, where does this come from? Trauma, shame because of trauma, comes because trauma can make you feel damaged. Damaged, like I am, I am busted. I'm broken, right? I'm not, I don't work. I'm not good, right? Unworthy or unable, unable. Um, you, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, traumatize anyone by saying some things, but but it's important for us. We're all adults here. It's important for us to kind of understand how how complex trauma can be. And if you'll allow me to say this example, there was a, a young woman who was sexually abused, <clears throat> which is sadly very common. You know, men and women can be abused and, and can be abusive. Um, but what made that very complicated, even more complex, is that while she, she was abused over an extended period of time, and during her abuse, her body responded with an orgasm. And so this created a very complex wiring inside of her, like a very complex relationship between this very intense, painful, emotionally and physically painful thing and this very pleasurable experience. So she, over the years, she became so angry with her genitals. She became so angry with them. And actually just identifying that she was bitter towards her genitals for allowing that to happen took a lot of time, just identifying that connection. And so the therapist helped her to uh, uh, give her, her vagina a new name and, and to write a new story and, and write a letter to her vagina so that she can change her relationship with her own body, right? Because before that, against her will, out of her control, Something bad happened. It was traumatic. And that, that, that takes a lot of work, right? It's a lot of work, right? Can you imagine being her husband? It's, can you imagine being an unhealthy husband in that process? And being like, hurry up. What's going on? What's the problem? Right? That is so bad to do that, right? Very, very bad. But a supportive husband would be listening, right? And, and patient, very, very patient, right? Very patient, not, not adding further shame to all of this, right? If you have not recovered from trauma, from a certain trauma, you can feel like a significant part of who you are is disconnected from your spouse. And if sex is all about intimacy and you're, you have not recovered from something and you're holding that back, that part of who you are is not being intimate there's something holding back. So there's going to be an issue, right? And if you haven't recovered, trauma can be frequently re-triggered. So that's, that's another reason why we need to do the work, right? So how to overcome it? Seek professional help. Seek professional help. You will need to safely go back to the traumatic event, process it, and then plan for life moving forward. You can recover. You can recover. Men and women you can recover from trauma. You can recover. It takes work, right? But you can recover. As soon as you are ready 
Tell your spouse, I believe a past traumatic experience of mine is affecting our sexual intimacy. I need your support and will tell you more as soon as I can. Okay? All right. That's the saddest one of all. Number six, shame because of deception or sin. Unresolved guilt can lead to shame. So if you're guilty of a sin and you don't do anything about it, that unresolved guilt that you feel because of the sin or deception could, will lead to shame. Deception and sin involve hiding something from your spouse, and hiding is associated with shame. Sin and deception slowly eat away at your sense of self. What do I mean? Of course, there's so many examples. You know, an extreme example is an affair, but also there's many other examples. Maybe, maybe you're lying about uh, you know, there was uh, an example of someone who, who lost his, uh, the guy lost his job, was so ashamed to tell his spouse, so every morning he woke up, got dressed, and, and acted as if he was going to work for months. And so he was ashamed of having lost his job. And that is a, is a deception. It's not that the husband was evil in that situation. He's not evil. He's not bad. But he was so ashamed. And so that shame led to deception, which, and that deception led to more shame, right? Because you're hiding and the intimacy is breaking. How do you, of course, also if you're, if you're engaged in pornography, if you're, there's an emotional affair, um, if you're addicted to uh, a drug or something, anything, these things can uh, lead to shame, uh, sexual shame. Speak to your father of confession as soon as possible. Just and I'd rather just go to the third bullet. Act now. Just act. Just go. Don't even think about it. Go straight to the Father of Confession and, and confess about the deception or the sin. Okay? You don't need uh, analysis. We don't need science. We don't need anything. You just need to... Shame needs to be exposed. If there is sin or deception, go straight to the Father of Confession and confess. Also, I encourage you, to, to, for many things that are, that are caused to lead to deception or sin, or that are sinful, you might need professional help too, because the process of recovering and healing can, can be heavy and needs work, right? And, and, and we're going to talk about, during the, the resource overview, God willing, by Dr. Christina, we're going to talk about what the difference between the support that a priest provides and the support that a therapist provides, right? And they're both very, very important, right? It's not one is better than the other. Both are very important, right? All right, great. All right, we're almost there, guys. We're uh, uh, six out of eight. That's 75% through. We're almost done. Shame because of your spouse's past or because of their ac actions in the present or words in the present. Where does that come from? Your spouse has access to your heart that no one else has. No one else has. A critical word from your spouse can wound deeply. I was talking with, uh, with, a, couple, with, a, with a spouse, and, uh, and he was telling me how him and his wife, they were uh, experimenting with something to help his wife uh, achieve an orgasm. And um, while, while they were experimenting with that, he just made like a, like a critical comment like about her body, just a critical comment, right? I don't want to say what it is, but it was, it was just a critical comment. And then th that comment, it was so just, anyone would say it's like, okay, like it's just life, it's just a life comment, you know, it's just life. But it entered her heart so deeply. And now every time they're together, she asks, is this thing happening? The thing that he commented on, right? It's because us, you and your spouse, have access to each other's heart that no one else has. No one has that access except Christ. He's all, he has the greatest access. But no one else has that access. So that's why you have to be very careful with your words and anything that's critical, right? If your spouse, another reason why this causes shame is if your spouse does something that leads you to lose trust in them, that can make you feel unworthy, unloved, or unable, right? You feel like, I am unable to 
please my spouse. I am unable to be intimate, to provide the intimacy that my spouse needs, right? Also, you might not be coping well with knowledge of your spouse's past, right? And that's why whether or not to talk about your past and how to talk about your past before marriage and during marriage is is a whole other subject and there's a lot of there's there's a lot of stuff to say there right but <clears throat> what i also what i want to tell you the person who's on the receiving end is make sure you can handle whatever you're about to ask for whatever information you're going to ask for right because you don't know right and 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 once something is said it can't be unsaid right and just and just because you even um, just even if your spouse completely is recovered and repentant and they're healthy and they're healthier than they ever were and they're far above average in health, but for you that still is a present memory. It's a past for them, but it's present for you, and that can be difficult. You might not be coping well. How do you overcome this? Seek external support if you're struggling to cope with your spouse's past. It is very hard for a spouse to support another spouse about their their own past. It's very hard because it's very easy to feel criticized, right? Like your spouse is saying, oh, but you did this or you're comparing that or whatever. And and you're you're just going to become so defensive. You're going to be, and you're going to get frustrated. And you're not going to be able to provide the emotional support that your spouse needs. So the person who's struggling to cope with this knowledge, get external support. Also, gently, in the, if, if things come up in the present, like, like actions or, um, or words, uh, gently bring them up. Using, of course, healthy communication, mar- marital communication that we've spoken about many times. Um, and express how that made you feel. And before you do so, ask yourself, what response would I like from my spouse when I bring this up? What do I want them to say, right? Because we, we want to have constructive and productive conversations. All right, I, we're almost done. We actually just have two more slides left. Slide the eighth cause of shame. And then um, a conclusion slide. Is everybody good? All right, I know it's still kind of early in the morning. All right, where it comes from. Shame because of a low desire at a particular time. And I want to distinguish that, my dear friends, from low desire much of the time. Okay, that's a different, different issue. But sometimes, you know, one, one of you wants to have sex and the other person just doesn't, right? Is it, is it okay to not want to have sex sometimes? It's so okay to not want to have sex, Right? It's like, it's kind of like, do you want to eat all the time? Right? Do you want to eat all the time? Like, I want to eat a lot when I eat. But, but after I've eaten a lot, it's not like I want to go and eat again. Right? And sometimes I'm so consumed with what's going on in my day that I can go a whole day without eating. Right? So it's the same thing with sex. Right? Uh, Where the shame can come from is that messages may have been given to you that a good spouse always gives sex when their partner asks for it. I want to tell you, if you are not free to say no, if you're not free to say no, your yes is not a real yes. Five minutes. All right, yes, thanks. Uh, if, if, If you're not free to say no, your yes is not a real yes, okay? So, uh, and your no may have been responded to negatively in the past, and you may have been shamed for it, right? Like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you ever want to? And all those, those statements make the person feel guilty for saying no, right? But if your spouse is saying no over and over and over again, that, that is, there's an indication there's something going on there, right? And that's, uh, we're going to talk about that. How do you overcome this? And we're going to do this in, in less than three minutes. Accept that it is okay to not want sex all the time. Initiate a discussion with your spouse on how to say no or not now in a way that's sensitive and that doesn't feel like rejection. Okay? Initiate sex with your spouse. And if you feel offended about a time when you were responded to in a negative way, Bring it up to your spouse. Of course, all this is assuming healthy communication, 
don't raise your voice, give understanding before demanding to be understood. All that stuff that we know about how to talk in a, in a civilized way, in a healthy way. Okay? The last thing, so in conclusion, I know we covered a lot of stuff, but we don't get to do this often. Lingering shame is detrimental to you, your spouse, and your marriage. God does not want you to carry shame in your heart. So take action now against shame. Glory be to God forever. Amen. Um, are we taking questions now, Danny? Or are, we are? Okay, cool. Is someone moderating that? Sorry, I should know the answer to that. Okay. Thanks. So um, the QR code is on the screen in case you haven't scanned it before. But uh, Sean is going to be moderating some of the questions. I think we have uh, one or two questions that are uh, relevant to the talk. Again, and then the rest of the questions uh, will be pushed to the panel discussion. Okay. All right, guys. Yeah, we, we have five minutes to get through some questions. So, yeah, we're not going to not answer them. We're just going to save them for the panel. I'm going to not stand here. Sorry. Okay. First question, you mentioned shame can come from social group discussions. Can discussing sex in your social group be positive? Is there a positive way to go about it? Yeah, there's absolutely a positive way to talk about sex. Actually, we're going to try to do some of that today. We're going to do it um, in groups and then like uh, gender separated groups. And then we're going to do a pillow talk. Yeah, wait, just wait. Uh, so, um, but you can talk about it, but what do you need to watch out for? Don't talk about it criticizing your spouse and say like, oh, men always, women always, women never, my wife this, and oh, of course, my, dude, my wife, dude, ah, bah, blah, blah, right? No, it's like, what, when, if you're going to open a conversation about sex with your friends, please be ready to receive influence, open with vulnerability, ask for help or guidance. And also, it is, it is true. There are some people that you should not talk about sex with, right? They're, because they have no idea what they're talking about. Or maybe they know what they're talking about, but they have no idea how to talk about it, right? Like they might have knowledge, but they don't know how to guide you. Maybe they don't understand your situation well enough. And they don't do the work to ask you questions about you. Because you see, as you realize, advice is everywhere. Everybody has advice. Just go ask, go, go in the kid's room, ask them about sex. One of them's going to give you advice. The kids will give you advice. You want advice? They're going to give you advice. Right? So, everybody has advice. But, but choose carefully who you talk about, about sex with. And uh, make sure there's no criticism. There's no putting down. Okay? Okay, next question. Uh, you mentioned theology of sex. What did you mean by theology of sex? Yeah, um, what that means is what, what does God believe or tell us and teach us and reveal to us about sex? Some of those things we already put up in the, the references that we showed earlier, right? That sex is a means by which you are united with your spouse some additional things, St. John Chrysostom talks about the relationship between uh, Christ and the church, and he says it is spiritual intercourse. That's what he says, spiritual intercourse, right? It's holy, it's undefiled, it's a means of unification. It's a means of participating in God's creative work, right? It's a means by which you minister to your spouse, right? It's something that God invented. Who, where did sex come from? God invented it. Right? Where did sexual pleasure for the man and the woman come from? God invented it. Right? And he commanded you to have sex. Right? In marriage, of course. Right? 
So that's part, that's just the, like the general messages about the theology about sex. Like what is God revealing to us in his intention and design about sex? Because we need those things. So, because some people, they're so ashamed of it. They think it's wrong. They think it's sinful. You know, we know many stories. People, they, uh, they, you know, people go in their rooms. They put all the saint pictures face down before they have sex. You know, like, like there's a lot of version, variations of that. You know, and it's because they think it's shameful. It's sinful, but that's not true. Okay. There's lots of questions about postpartum. Literally, I'm getting 85 questions about postpartum. Uh, Libido, I promise we're going to answer that question, but let's wait to the panels. Okay. But we're going to answer that question. One last question so we can move on. Um, A follow-up question. What if you talk about sex with a good friend, same gender, and the experience shared results in feelings that you're and and you feel that your situation is much worse? Should we refrain? Oh, so when, when you're talking with your friend, you feel like your situation is much worse than theirs? Oh, yeah, it's possible that your situation is much worse than theirs. So, so, so talk with it, uh, someone else that will, is supportive to you, right? So support doesn't usually, as a healthy adult and a healthy Christian, support does not come from just one person, okay? You need like a, like a team of people around you. Every individual needs to have a team of people around them, right? And so... <coughs> Your friend can support in some ways, maybe just in being with you, validating, helping you grieve and all of that, maybe providing some guidance, but, but also a therapist, a priest, another friend who maybe has that experience. Uh, a book is a, is a form of support, right? So, so um, uh, but I can tell you there is nothing, nothing, nothing that you have experienced sexually neg- that's negative that cannot be worked through that is new, that no one has ever heard of. And I literally mean nothing. Like, whatever, if anyone say anything, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm waiting to be stunned by something that someone says. I might be very saddened, that's different. But to be surprised, no. Like, there, there's, there's an answer for all of these things, right? So don't, don't, don't uh, with, uh, uh, deprive yourself of that support, please. Okay, I think we're gonna we're gonna end here. Let's please clap it up for Makar. Thank you, Makar.